So looking at what are you know, your values, what are your priorities, what is important for you, and is that where you're spending significant time and energy? It's actually quite um, a long process because I feel anyway for myself that it's constantly being reviewed, maybe every week, maybe every two weeks. Sometimes I wish I could just say, now it's good. Can we just keep it like that for a few months? <laughs> a week or two weeks later, I'm like, yeah, but no, that could be a big difference. Or, you know, I want to spend a bit more time here or maybe weekends do something. That so I'm constantly re-evaluating. But the important part here is that if there's any misalignment, it's only ever small because I catch it. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're back for episode 108 with Katie Stoddard coming to us from Sweden. The title today is Ready, Set, Focus, Tools, Strategies and Shifts to Enhance Your Balance and Your Performance. Katie is a coach and she works with people and leaders around peak performance. But here's the key, it's not just the kind of peak performance which means push, 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 burnout, exhaustion, and some level of achievement. It's what she calls balanced peak performance. And that's about getting clear on what your priorities are and making sure that the way you invest your time and your energy is in alignment with those priorities. She's not only talking about the concepts, she's got very practical everyday tips and tactics you can use to maintain your alignment and to catch yourself more quickly. It's a big theme with Katie. It's not about getting it perfect, but catching ourselves and adjusting more quickly. You're gonna love this conversation, which ultimately talks about peak performance, leadership, and impact. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. I am excited today. I'm really excited today because we're going to talk to Katie Stoddard, who's coming to us from Sweden. I'm excited because it's our first guest from Sweden, which is always a woohoo, Sweden. Uh, <laughs> first timer, Katie, no pressure. Uh, but I'm also excited because we're going to talk about peak performance, but I already have a hint. We're going to be talking about peak performance from a more integrated, holistic way. You know, so many people talk about peak performance. It's all about just you know, hitting these numbers and do, almost do, do. basically sacrifice my life to yeah. be a peak performer. I know that's not what we're going to hear today. We've got Katie Stoddard with us. She's the founder of The Focus Bee, it's an award-winning international high-performance coaching business. And she works with founders and executives to sustain peak performance. And we're going to learn more about what that means to her. But we're going to talk about what, you know, Craig and I are passionate about, self-leadership. We're going to talk about the importance of focus, about energy management. And here's the cool little um, spoiler alert. We're going to hear a little of Katie's story where she started her career working as an engineer offshore mapping the seafloor. So I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to hear how that connects to her coaching because she tells, yeah. it, tells us it does. We're going to hear the story. So welcome, Katie. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, glad to have you. So Katie, give us a little bit of that background story. Absolutely. As you put it, I used to map the seafloor. I was an engineer. I worked offshore. And essentially, I realized that I was a lot more interested in the people aspect mm -hmm. of the job than the data aspect. I loved the adventure of traveling and being at sea, but all I really wanted to do was work with people, support people. And in the same time, I was really into personal development. So somehow it all tied together. I end up as a coach and I often feel that my engineering background really helps me yeah. with having a more analytical, practical approach to coaching. So in the end, it all ties up really well together, <laughs> though it's a surprising combination. <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of people say, wow, you know, management would be great if it wasn't for the people. But you're exactly opposite. You're saying, okay, the technical stuff is fine, but you know, I, I want to be around the people. I love that. 
it's finally somebody that gets it, right? <laughs> yes, it's exactly like that. <laughs> I just thought that meeting people offshore on boats from all over the world was amazing. Oh, yeah. But the data, not so much. So <laughs> I chose to just focus on the people. Well, you might also be a bit of a purple unicorn in that you're an engineer <laughs> by training. Right. Who now is very people focused. And that's not a shot at engineers. It's often a self-perception. I was working with a group yesterday, a lot of engineers who were basically saying, look, I, I care about the numbers. I, my struggle is caring about the people. They were very honest about it. So I think it's fascinating that you've moved from this analytical engineer to this still analytical, uh, people-focused peak performance coach. And we're going to learn all about that. Well, you used, to, you used to be an attorney, Jeff. And so, you know, I mean, being a people person and an attorney both. Yeah, yeah, and I'm a purple unicorn. Yeah, I was an IT. <laughs> Why do you think I have purple back here? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not just because I like it. It's a reminder of my unicorn status. Yeah, so good. So, so Katie, give us first, let's start with an overview. What is peak performance to you? The way I look at peak performance, it's overall balance and at the same time, striving for excellence and growth continuously. Hmm. So you maintain a feeling of balance which is where the burnout and the overwhelm don't belong. And you have balance both in your life and in your business, but at the same time, you're still growing and striving and thriving and striving at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's, let's address um, the one word in there originally, uh, balance. Um, balance is such an interesting concept because everybody says they want it. Very few people can tell you what it looks like. And my personal bias is that true balance is impossible in the sense, in the sense of the literal meaning of balance is exact equality. So what does balance mean in your work? The way, once more, I look at it and the way I work with my clients, which is highly individualized, is to look, are there any areas in your life that matter to you that somehow have fallen off the wagon somehow okay. you're under prioritizing things like health and relationships which mm -hmm. are typical for people who are very ambitious and hard working so balance isn't really about you putting five hours in each area of your life and they're all growing at the same right. speed it's more that none of the areas are being undervalued and forgotten about and you don't have this feeling of there's a certain feeling when you're unbalanced of Hard to explain. It's like misalignment. It's suddenly looking at where you're spending your time, energy, and money and thinking, actually, this isn't what matters to me most. What am I doing, you know, spending my weekends working instead of being with my family, for instance? Mm -hmm. So it's contrasting. You look at what unbalanced looks like and you get rid of that feeling. And generally, on the other side, there's balance. Gotcha. So it comes back to quality of life, but it's a sense of not having that, that feeling of missing out on something. In your, yes. in your life. Okay. Yes. Constantly reviewing your priorities and where you're putting your time, energy, money gotcha. to make sure that it makes sense for you. So Katie, I love, always love asking a question like this early on. If you look at the billions of people in the world, there's a lot of, bill, of the billions who have at some point looked at the balance issue in their life, right? They've done, they've done the wheel of priorities. They've done, everybody's done it. And pretty much everybody knows, and I would say most people would say, I'm out of balance. But there's a small, a much smaller percentage of people that are actually making corrective action. Hmm, what do point. you find gets in the way of the awareness and the actual shifts? This is a great question in general for people that are struggling to take action on anything. <laughs> in this case, it's towards a more balanced life, but it could also be towards growing your business. It could also be towards having a new exercise routine. And what I feel often gets in the way, obviously, it's the mindset. And more specifically, in terms of the mindset, it's looking at identity work. Do they see themselves as someone who exercises? Yeah, do they see absolutely. themselves as a successful business person. So identity is huge. Then there's also the comfort and the certainty that people derive from old patterns. So if you're someone who's always smoked or always overeaten or always drunk a lot, again, there's identity, but it's also 
the repetition and comfort that comes from doing things repetitively. So it comes down to habit work. So changing and adapting those habits, which sounds easy as a theory, but in practice, a lot of people struggle with getting rid of toxic habits or implementing new healthy ones. That comes up all the time, which is where coaching and accountability help people because a new habit that you've never done in your life is a challenge for most people. So there's identity, there's habits, and then there could be any sort of trauma, blockage, obstacles, mm. limiting beliefs, all of that nice package of things <laughs> like, you know, I'm not good at languages, so people don't tackle a language, or which again is identity also, or this is not the sort of thing that I would ever be any good at. or So all this limiting belief, obstacles, traumas, all of that gets in the way. <laughs> that is so yeah. interesting. I think um, we've, we've had several people talk about the identity stuff and that's, that's been a lot of the work that I've done is just looking at, you know, who am I, who, who do I represent myself to be and using tools that I've created to, to change that, you know, by, by putting in my mind, what I, who I want to be. Um, but that's, that, that's a process that, um, it's, it's not necessarily super fast, but I don't know, maybe you have some special ingredients for, for how to make that happen a little faster. Visualization is essential. Seeing ourselves as that person, looking at what's keeping us in our old identity. So what's the secondary gain uh, that we have from yeah, the past identity? So the typical questions would be, what am I gaining out of this habit, this behavior, out of overeating, out of struggling as a business owner? What am I gaining here? Yeah. Am I gaining significance from others? Wow. Am I gaining attention? So looking at the secondary gain of past identities is huge. Visualizing yourself as the upgrade identity, if you want to call it as such, having role models that you, you aspire towards, having an alter ego, so someone that you think of or the other version of yourself that you think mm. of and you step into those shoes. Yes, looking at different ways affirmations and the bigger why and purpose behind it but one last thing on identity ironically doing all this work around identity upgrade is in parallel linked to ego work and so if you're on a spiritual journey and trying to let go of the ego it's a big challenge to upgrade your identity all the while not wanting to be too ego driven so there's a bit of a balance here again yeah. balance <laughs> Jeff, was it you that that told me about affirmations? Uh, yes, yeah. Okay. There's a book um, I've read years ago about affirmation. Yeah, so it's basically asking yourself questions rather than telling yourself, "Oh, I'm a millionaire," right? It's it's why am I, you know, earning more this year than last year, or or something like that, and then our brains automatically go to answering those questions, which I found fascinating. Yes, I love that. Having questions that are empowering helps us to seek the solutions everywhere. And you're right, it's nice to put it that way instead of an affirmation, because it makes us seek the answer. And of course, all of this work, whether it's affirmations with questions or affirmations or visualizations, the reason it's so powerful is because after a while of doing it, it actually gets wired into our subconscious so we no yeah. longer need to think of it consciously. It's just there in the background. And yeah. then it works. And then three months happen. And you're like, oh, that worked. But you, after a while, you stop thinking about it consciously. Yeah. Okay. Katie, you said you packed a lot in there. I want to I want to <laughs> pull some of those threads out. Threads out. One you talked about, and I have found with my coaching clients and friends and myself, is one of the hardest things is to acknowledge, I think you called it the secondary win something like that, but to acknowledge there's something that we get out of the behavior we're trying to change. And usually people will say, no, no, I don't get anything out of it. And I'll say, <laughs> trust me, you wouldn't do it if you weren't getting something out of it. You think you're avoiding this, but there's a win in here. And what do you find is the resistance people have to acknowledging that? Because you can't change it until you're willing to acknowledge it's there. Yes. Ironically, the resistance is often linked to what they're gaining out of it, which is certainty. So as Tony Robbins talks about the six human needs, love, significance, certainty, variety, growth, and contribution. And the certainty is what we gain a lot of the time through old behaviors. 
Now, there can be other things that we're also getting out of them, maybe pleasure if it's eating or a habit. But a lot of the time it's certainty. So it's linked to the comfort zone. And people, by not acknowledging they're gaining something out of it, it's reinforcing this feeling of certainty. It's, it's saying, I'm in my comfort zone. I won't even acknowledge it's my comfort zone because then I'll have to do something about it and leave it. So it's really, it's really just not wanting to leave that box because they feel safe in it. I think that what you just said is so profound. And I, I'm in the midst of just the last six weeks helping to support a training that was primarily about resistance. And we were doing a lot of work with, uh, do you know Stephen Pressfield's work? Uh, he wrote a work, a book called Do the Work. Uh, he's written a lot of books, both nonfiction and fiction, but he talks about the insidious nature of resistance. And that resistance, like his premise, and I, I get it, he was saying it never goes away, it just changes form. And you gotta recognize the voice of it, which is pretty much every voice. And I love what you said, that idea of, like I say to people, they'll say, well, if I knew what to do, I would do it. And I say, actually, you already know. Well, no, you don't understand. I don't know. No, that's the problem because you do know. But if you actually acknowledge, you know, now you've got a problem because you can't <laughs> yeah. stay where you are anymore, but you can stay here your whole life while you say, I'm not really sure. For you listeners, Kate, Katie is nodding her head <laughs> yeah. vigorously. Yeah, it's a bobblehead. <laughs> Yeah. It's, so talk more about that reality and people's change work of that insidious nature of resistance. Yes. It's interesting the way you put it, that if people knew what they need to do, <laughs> then they can't deny it anymore. <laughs> and this is why so many people always look for strategy and they don't mm. want to acknowledge how much of it is mindset. <laughs> and I did it myself. Yes. I did it myself. I had business mentors teaching me the strategy but my business grew with the mindset shift and a bit of strategy, but it's always a small percentage. And people think they want someone to tell them how they're supposed to run their business, how they're supposed to eat, how they're supposed to exercise. You can have that on YouTube in a couple of hours, <laughs> but taking the actions and the upgrade and being able to step away from these old habits, it's all in the head. <laughs> and so we don't need strategy, but people hide behind it. People think it. <laughs> You need a bit, like a bit, <laughs> but yeah. it's not what you need most. Let's put it this way. And I think it's very interesting because you, you're basically saying that who we are, our being is Trump's our doing. And yet so many of us focus on doing because that's what's so easy and right in front of us. Oh, I can do this thing and then I'll feel better about myself. Mm -hmm, absolutely. But we won't. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, people get stuck in the doing. And I yeah. feel that when people really shift, when people really change, whether once more it's in business, health, relationships, it's really when something changes inside them. It's not when they start applying this one trick they read in a book. It's maybe the book helped them to have a reflection mm. that then led to an action that changed things. But the, the deeper work always happens within us. And people don't want to acknowledge that because it's tough. You know, people don't want to relive past traumas. People don't want to overcome their limiting beliefs. People don't want to go to that space it's a lot easier to just apply a quick method they think it's a quick fix and they, there's no quick fix <laughs> not with the human brain <laughs> why diets uh typically don't work <laughs> For example, and many other things but yes, yeah many other things too but absolutely well, one word you haven't used yet katie i think it's in there is this need desire for safety like you said certainty and when i heard certainty from tony robbins i'm thinking yeah that's about safety and protection. And I want to know that I'm okay. And as long as if I don't take any risk, I'll be okay. And I mean, the harsh reality is, if it's harsh or not, but it is a reality, change involves risk and, and letting go of an old way and an old part of myself. And I, I think sometimes there's also a grieving process in the, a grieving reality of letting go of that parts of me that have taken care of me for a long time and kept me safe. And I've actually done some processes where I'll do a little ceremony to honor that part of me. Sort of, thanks for looking <laughs> out for me, but it's okay, I got this now. <laughs> I did the same, I did the same. I've given them names. So oh, really? I'm happy to share this one because I feel probably a lot of your audience have it. So uh, I have a huge 
Sabota uh, hyperachiever Sabota, and I called it HAT, hyperachiever type of personality, HAT. And one day I realized both how it was serving me positively, but how it was maybe leading me to be unbalanced in some ways or always feeling like I'm not enough because this is typical of hyperachievers. Mm. And I coach a lot of hyperachievers. I also saw where it came in my background and my past. I sort of put it all together. And one evening I said, you know what? Thanks. You've helped me loads. I did really well at school and I got a good job and I'm running my business. I don't need you anymore. I literally said, <laughs> I'm good. Like I've got my methods. I still will work well. You can trust me. I, and I just let it go. And it doesn't mean it's gone forever. I like to think of it as it's transformed. So it's not that my hat hyperachiever has disappeared, but it's turned into what I like to call the sustained performer. So it's about sustaining performance, but not about always, because the problem with hyperachiever, the main thought that often used to come into my mind is it's not enough, mm. not good enough. I'm not doing enough. It's not, it's just not, it's never enough. And I thought, well, this is no good. <laughs> so I let it go, transformed, but it's a whole process. I mean, it was a lot of coaching, a lot of work, a lot of reflection for me to realize how far I've come thanks to it, but how now, I want to operate from a dip, from a place of more abundance, and in some ways, hyperachiever. There's also some scarcity. So. Wow, there's a there's right. an interesting connection. I was just thinking about that. Both as both you were talking about this, you're naming them, you're putting them out there, and it's it's what somebody said about you know the five closest friends. <laughs> <laughs> and so if we if we name these people, you know the the different characteristics that we have in there, and say, okay, it's time for to change my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Identity upgrade of the yeah. friends in question. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if I've named mine. I have labeled one of them though. He's <laughs> he's called Superman. Oh, I was going to say Super Jeff. <laughs> oh, it's well, it's just Superman. I it's, I didn't label it Super Jeff. And because Superman yeah. can always do more than everybody else. Uh, doesn't need rest. Takes on everything. Doesn't set boundaries. Mm. Does he ask and and continually says, "Don't worry, I got this. I got mm. this." And so I have to pay attention and say, is this when I engage in something? Because sometimes we we have to push ourselves. And I'll ask myself, is this Superman yeah. or is this healthy, Jeff? <laughs> and I, and usually if I have to ask, I know the answer. Yeah, right. If I've come to my, and that's another thing I've found, Katie, that I tell others and myself, if you're asking the question, the answer is yes. There's a reason. <laughs> Do I think, am I afraid? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I Am like I doubting that. myself? Uh, yeah. Well, how do you know? You just asked yourself. You don't <laughs> ask, you're asking yourself because you want someone else to say, oh, no, no, no. Right. They're hoping for a different answer. Yeah, unvalidate. So yes. Yeah, so let me ask a different question, Kate. It's related. I want to ask you about emotions. We had mm. a recent guest was talking about how important it is to get to the emotions in terms of that motivator for change. And I, again, in this course, I was just, participating in. We talked about that a lot. And I kind of felt like this was a form of resistance. We were asking people to envision this great different life that they want. And their first answers were really boring. Like I would say, so tell me about your this your how your life would be different if you show up differently as a man. And they go, well, I would live my best life. Kind of went, well that was that didn't land. <laughs> And I remember saying to one guy, I said, well, what would happen if you lived your best life? And then he came alive. He said, oh, my God, if I did that, my life would rock. My relationship with my wife would be incredible. And it, he started to come alive. And I said, now that feels like that would motivate you. That whole <laughs> best life thing isn't going to motivate anybody. So where do emotions play in this transformation? Everywhere, I feel, in general. So emotions Oh, it's such a deep topic, I, and I I want to not expand too 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 much. But basically, two ways. One thing is looking at the emotions that don't serve us and drain us and um, reduce our energy. Things like overstress, overwhelm, burnout, anger, the extremes, and being able to manage them efficiently is hugely important. And this can be through. Meditation helps a lot because it means that we have more space between our emotions and so we're not as responsive and reactive quickly, but also accepting and understanding them. Where I used to struggle a lot personally was 
I wouldn't accept them. So if I was in a bad mood, it's like, no, I, I'm not allowed to be in a bad mood. I have to be in peak state all the time. So now it's more, I understand, I accept, leave a bit of phase, but not too long. <laughs> so I let myself have that moment, that space, that breathing. But then, so there's those types of emotions, but then there's also the emotions we want. So how we want to feel. If we want to feel excited, passionate, confident, you name it. All the emotions that we want to feel, joy, peace. And those, what happens is we often wait for an external event to trigger them. So it's like, I will feel joy when I see this friend. I will feel joy when we can travel again. And so we wait and we put a threshold. <laughs> when this happens, I can have this emotion. No, wow. you can have it now. Like the second you can yes. feel we need to know how to access it. And most people, because they've tied the two so closely together, they don't think they can access emotions on demand. And then there's entire processes to do this. Again, visualization, but it can also be things that trigger these emotions. If you know you listen to really deep chanting music, maybe you feel peace really fast, uh, listening to certain music, people, memories, anchoring. So there's a lot of things we can do. But in general, what I feel is that shifting our perspective from always wanting more on an external perspective whether it's material possessions or achievements in business and life that's what i used to be like and shifting that to actually i just want to feel mm. more passionate joy peace those are mine by the way <laughs> joy <laughs> peace excitement passion those are probably the ones i want to feel most and tuning into okay how do i make this happen and it might be linked to some things you do outside and not but not making it dependent on those things. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think there's uh, there's an aspect of, you know, if we look at how we view something that's coming up, you know, I'm going to the doctor. Oh no, what if I have X, Y, Z? You know, I'm going to have to put my dog down on Friday. So I have shed tears even before that event has happened because I'm anticipating what's going on. We can access the same thing for other types of emotions that we want to have just by saying, hey, you know, I, I want to feel this way. I choose to feel this way. And it's a choice. It's not dependent on anything else. The choice. I remember I realized this at some point. This was before I was into coaching, before I was into personal development. I was feeling a bit unhappy because of my career. I was walking down the street in Barcelona where I used to live. And I stopped in the street and I thought, this is rubbish. Like my life is great. Yeah, my career is not ideal, but I'm in I'm living in Barcelona. I'm happily, <laughs> you know, in a relationship. We weren't married then. Things are great. Why am I feeling this way? Well, first of all, understanding that and working on that is good. But I also realize I can choose. I can choose. Yes. And I remember that moment where you suddenly it clicks and you know, I can choose to be happy. Yeah. That's really powerful when we really realize this internally. It it shifts a lot of things. I think the other key to me for for the happiness side is gratitude and just understanding how much we have because once we access that and we we are thankful for what's around us we start seeing more to be thankful for <laughs> yes yes it's shifting from the the scarcity again of not enough or not right. good enough or what's missing people always focus on what's missing and shifting that towards the abundance and gratitude helps so much it's so so powerful so Katie, talk a little bit, and Craig, you triggered this for me about people self-defining their emotions in the sense of, because mm -hmm. Craig, you were using the word happy. If people ask me, are you happy all the time? I'd say, no, I'm not happy all the time. Right. Uh, but I would say I'm nearly, nearly always joyful. to some Absolutely. Degree. Because joy is for me, the way I define it, something that I can have all the time. Yep. Happiness is a little more dependent on some things going on, and I'm not totally in search of happiness. Right. That's, I haven't set that as a goal. So how does this defining of what we want and getting really clear, not just the label, but what it really means to us, fit into this change? Once you are aware of the way you want to feel, and if, if the background emotion is joy continuously, it makes it easier first to shift and change because we no longer have, the other emotions don't have such a pull on us. So like you said, if the background is always joy, but on the surface, it might be a bit of happiness and anger, there might be some dips, but if deep down, it's quite constant, that means that in the moments where you need to change, the other 
emotions don't have such a big pull. Uh, the grief, for instance, the grief of letting go of the previous identity or behavior, like you mentioned, which is a really interesting point. And if they don't have such a big pull, it's easier to make that change. And it also comes with trust. So once more, if you're in a calm, peaceful, happy state, mostly, at least in the background, then your trust and the abundance mindset is so much bigger and therefore change is easier, right? It's a lot harder to change when you're scarcity because then you think, this is all I have. You know, if struggling entrepreneur, which is a typical identity, if that's a box you're locked in, but you feel that's all you have, then you cling on to that even more. Though you need to let go of it in order to be abundant. So, yes. <laughs> Yeah. The other thing I wanted to come back to is choice. You said you had this moment of awareness on the sidewalk in Boston. And I think a lot of people still haven't got there. And it's not new wisdom. I remember saying that, I forget where I saw it, but there's a quote from Seneca in 1 AD that says, we are our choices. Mm. For sure. So this is not like this is not new age. <laughs> Yet I wonder, I guess let me frame the question this way. What do you find is the resistance that people have to acknowledging that we have choice? I think it comes back to what we were saying earlier, which is that if they acknowledge they have choices, <laughs> they need to do something about it. It comes back to that. If they acknowledge, if they know what they can do, if they acknowledge they have a choice, then they can no longer play the victim. Then they can no longer be in the blame game. They can no longer say, it's society, it's not my fault, it's my boss. And the second you say to them, well, you could leave or you could find another job. You could start your own business. They don't like it because <laughs> up until then, they had something to blame. And taking responsibility for that is a bit of a shift for some people, especially if once more, they have this thought pattern and that's the way they've functioned for so long then it's harder to make that shift into someone that takes full responsibility. It's a scary thing. Like now when I don't do things, I just say, I didn't do it. I underprioritized it. I've been slacking. I, you know, been procrastinating. I no longer blame because there is no blame because that doesn't exist. <laughs> so it's, it's a scary thing for a lot of people to take on board because they like to have somewhere to hide. So it's all about cognitive dissonance. That's one way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> Well, I, I think you're right, Katie. And I know that I now am at the point that I just very direct with people and I'll tell them, I, I even do it on stage now. I'll say, well, there's a, one problem with taking responsibility for your life. <laughs> and there's only one. And the problem is when you do, you, there's no more blame. There's no more victimhood. Absolutely. It never exists. You can never go there if you've really taken responsibility. Yep. And I said, and, and we all have attachment to that. I want an out card. Come on, at least give me one in the deck. I know 52 cards. Give me one that says you can do whatever you want and you can blame everybody. And I think that reality needs to be brought home because that's what it means. Yeah. There's no more blaming of totally anything agree. or anyone. And, and it's always... really interesting because it, I find that I would much rather be around those types of people because they take responsibility for what's going on and for their lives. And they say, you know what? I have a bad relationship here. I know that I'm a, a big part of that. And so they're not whining about it. Absolutely. I think it's easy when you have the out cards and it's easy when you can <laughs> blame or say it's someone else's fault. Yeah. But ultimately, it, it doesn't serve us nope, because exactly. it's so much more empowering when we are responsible and when we know we can change it. So when things don't work out, we know we can do something about it. And it's not yes. the weather. It's not the people. It's not the boss. It's not COVID. It's not any of those things. We can do what we can about it. So it is a much more empowering situation to be in. But it, it's a bit of a shift for some people. It can be a bit of a struggle. I think I'm realizing something here that some of the people that I, I work with, um, close friends, whatever, that they, they seem to have this constant struggle because they don't take responsibility. And so they're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. And years of talking about it 
and me saying, you have this choice. You could do this. You could do this. This is what I could do. I'll help you with this. No progress. Like, okay, maybe it's time to move on. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, yesterday I was doing a workshop and saw very clearly one of these forms of resistance hmm. in that someone asked me a question of, they said, well, let's say you've got a trust issue with a fellow employee based upon something in the past, and maybe some time has gone. What's the best way to approach it with them? And I said, well, the first thing to do is not approach it with them yet. First, you've got to approach it with yourself. And you've got to really understand what happened. And you're going to have to go beyond the first couple answers, because you're going to say, why don't you trust him? Because he talked behind my back. That that's just the beginning. So why is him talking about your back impacting you so deeply and you're going to have to get at it and it's it's probably going to be one of those inner pieces one of those inner voices and once you understand that you can decide has the full impact on trust really been as big as you said and now go talk to him from a place and start talking about you start with it about you and several people jumped in and said but what about him he did that and i said but that's his responsibility i said that's the thing that's his responsibility we're trying to trigger him to take responsibility, not give him responsibility. Because that all the only thing that changes things is if he takes responsibility. Wow. That's a, you own your part, and then you're inviting him to take his part. Wow. And that the resistance was big. People said, but what about him? I said, that's the thing. We're all worried about everybody else. We want to change everybody else. And we want our world to change if everybody changes. Well, Good luck with that. How's that strategy working? <laughs> those, those are great phrases, Jeff. I love the way that you put that about inviting somebody to take responsibility rather than giving them responsibility. Yes, I like that too. Very, very well said. And a great example. And the resistance in the room also shows how much people aren't willing to take responsibility, right? Because people who are will say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's my responsibility at the end of the day and how I interact in the relationship. But people who aren't, they'll say, no, but wait, he messed up. It's his fault. Why do I need to trust him? <laughs> yeah, let's get our finger out. Let's get our finger yeah. out. Because <laughs> that works we so blame well. blame somebody. <laughs> let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. So Katie, you talked about something just briefly some time ago that I want to come back to because most people talk about it and I want to get your take on it. You talked about the importance of the why and the purpose in change. And I think, again, that's when everybody knows that at some level, but talk more about how that, how important that is and how that actually works in the change you're talking about. Yes, and the why. I mean, everyone talks about it and everyone refers to Simon Sinek. I think there's a huge difference between the theoretical why and the real why. <laughs> and the theoretical why is the one that everyone talks about because it sounds good. It's that mission and vision and values, but the ones that sound good. But then they sometimes have a core why that's different. Maybe it's about healing something that didn't go well in their lives. Maybe it's just the activity that brings them the most enjoyment or peace. Maybe it's not because they want to transform the environment. Maybe it's something inside them. And what happens is if people tune into their why, real one, <laughs> then motivation isn't really an issue anymore and discipline it's a various sort of fall to the side and i feel it helps a lot in terms of not being too focused on yourself and not too self-conscious 
in things like speaking events or in business opportunities because when you're really connected to your purpose often it's linked to impact and especially as leaders and here it's a leadership podcast often we will focus on the other people and how we want to impact them and help them and inspire them and therefore our own concerns go away so that's where the the why and the purpose can help because it means that we no longer need to worry about if we're perfect or not or if we're doing it well enough or if we know how to speak or it's like no this message is important i must transmit it this is a way to transmit it and the inner barriers and beliefs and concerns and procrastination and obstacles and all that rubbish sort of goes away that's why purpose sort of purpose trumps it all <laughs> so how do you what would you say to people in terms of how do they know they found the real why versus the nice why I think because it's the one that feels right to them and not just that sounds nice on the outside. Wow. So one of the things that you had talked about earlier that you, you are passionate about is talking about energy. Can you dig into that a little bit more and maybe explain the kinds of energy that you talk about and how that applies in, in our transformation and peak performance? Yes, energy is like one of my favorite topics ever. <laughs> and it's very linked to purpose because, of course, if you have a strong purpose, this will give you more energy and motivation. So there's definitely a link here. Two ways of looking at energy. One is from a practical perspective. Things are fuelless physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. These are the basics that everyone knows about. Sleep, exercise, rest, meditation nutrition, all of them are the physical and emotional also energy fuels. And then there's another aspect, which is the emotions which we've touched upon and the purpose. So we've got a more spiritual approach in some ways to the energy, which is the emotions and the purpose behind it. But then we've got a more practical approach, which is the sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress management. And when we tie both of them together, that's when there's, you know, fire. <laughs> That's when there's no <laughs> limits. You know, if you're sleeping well, exercising a lot, you're meditating, you're eating really well. And then on the other side, you're cultivating really healthy emotions and you have a purpose, then what, what's going to get in your way? <laughs> one of the things you talked about was the atmosphere. One of the things I find is cr being in a space that makes a difference. Like, for example, a lot of people will schedule one on ones, coffee meetings, things like that at a Starbucks or a coffee shop. I go to a five-star hotel and it changes the conversation because of the space that you're in. And I find that when I want to do some life planning, I look for a specific place, but then, you know, day after day, I'm in my office, you know, so why not create the most amazing space that you can? Absolutely. I think it makes a hell of a difference. You can also, if you can't physically change the space, Obviously, you can do things to change the atmosphere of the place. So, mm, for instance, yeah. if you work in your own office, but let's say you can't repaint the wall or add decoration because it's a rented flat or you're there temporarily, you can listen to music or put something in the background or have a plant that you can put that, like just small things, yeah. maybe a photo that energizes you, maybe a, a word that you stick on the wall, just small things here and there. I have a, a lamp here on the side that has a really nice light and have like a meditation cushion over there. I have little things everywhere that I can see and give me that energy. I have books around and yes, it, it's about creating the environment we need, even if it's sometimes artificial in order to have higher levels of energy or to be yeah. more productive or motivated, whatever sort of works for each person. Well, so I would say there you, you've talked about the things that give you energy, but there are a lot of energy robbers. Uh, those things like toxic relationships, like listening to the news all the time. You know, there's, there's so many different things, just being around negative people that can drain us as well. And so we need to be fortified, but I guess, can you talk to that side, the, the drainers? Absolutely, yes. I call them energy thieves, and you call them <laughs> yeah, energy robbers, same, same. But yeah. it's like what drains our energy and you said it the toxic relationships news even sometimes i feel the atmosphere in certain places yeah totally it can be the music or it can be a bit dark no lighting uh 
there's a lot of small things here and there, unfinished tasks left in the background, mm, conversations yeah. that need to be had that aren't being had, decisions, messy desk, <laughs> messy desk decisions that are on hold, yeah. waiting for extra information and things to come through. Depending on people's personalities, different things drain different people. I think a really healthy approach is for people to actually reflect on this. So I even had a session yeah. recently with my coach that was on this energy fuels with what gives me energy, all the relationships, all the activities and energy drains. One thing that yep. came up is I needed to repair my trousers and I couldn't believe it. I was like, it's draining my energy. So I got them repaired, but I didn't realize it was an energy drain. If I didn't stop and think of what, like, what yeah, is draining right. my energy? Oh, my trousers. No. <laughs> once I realized it, I was like, this is ridiculous. And I got it done two days later. But these are the small things that we procrastinate because they're not important. But after yeah. a while, it builds up, especially if there's lots awesome. of people. Yeah. So yes, a great, great point. Energy. That's so interesting because we have all that baggage in the back of our head. It's like, oh, I need to fix this in the house. Oh, I need to do this in my business. Oh, I need to do this in my relationship. And those things, you're, you're right. You're so right. Those things build up. It's so interesting. I, to me, I, I'm with you. Energy is one of the, the key areas that I've looked at. And I'm, I'm a very high energy person. And there's a reason for that because I'm very intentional about that. I do exercise. Do it. I could say I, I would improve on the nutrition side. but the looking at those things that drain as well has been one of those things I've, I've looked at those things and said, okay, how can I remove that or dissipate that or change my relationship to those things so that I can make a difference in how I show up because I want to be infectiously energetic. That's nice. That's a nice, <laughs> that's a nice thing. I, I, I think I'll take that on as infectious infectiously enthusiastic one thing i was going to say about the energy and the drains is i love uh, getting things done gtd by david allen and he starts with capture and that's a great thing so i've started doing every day or every week mm. it depends but really sitting down brainstorming and literally emptying my mind and that's oh, wow. when all of these can pop up and then you categorize them and then you put them in your planner and you decide which ones can wait next month but then at least it's all out out of your head and it's not just getting cluttered in there <laughs> you mm. need the space let's talk about one other element of energy drain i was thinking about as you were talking back and forth uh our words our self-talk mm. totally like one that comes to mind is how often and i don't say it much anymore i catch myself when people say i have to do something yeah <laughs> by saying i have to do it typically doesn't make them want to do it it feels right. like a drudgery something they have they, they have to do versus I get to do it or I want to do it. Another one that, you know, Craig knows this, I've gotten rid of a few words in my vocabulary <laughs> and I've created some new ones. So I, you will not hear me say something like I'm overwhelmed. Like, why am I telling myself that? That makes me feel awesome. There are moments <laughs> though, when people will say, how are you doing? It happened last night. I got on this call and I had had a, a full day and they said, how are you feeling? I said, well, I got to tell you right now, I'm very aware of the whelm <laughs> because I don't feel overwhelmed, but I, I'm, I'm feeling some whelm right now and I it's okay. And it really makes a difference for me because I know if I said I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed, it would take me down another layer. And these are things that I control the words I say to myself so true, or to others. Wow. That is so good. I never use the word busy. Mm. Because I feel that it encourages us to think that we don't have enough time. Mm. And therefore, it encourages a scarcity mindset in terms of time. And when I hear people say they're busy, I just can't help it. I can't help it. I pause and I say, you mean it's not your priority? And they don't like it, Ooh, especially yeah. if they say, like, you know, I'm not exercising, I'm too busy. And I just say, you mean it's not your priority? I just want them to admit it to themselves. That's the thing. I don't care if they exercise or not. I want them to admit to themselves that they're not making it a priority because sometimes just acknowledging this can be enough to make people shift. Because if they suddenly say, spending time with my family is not my priority, then they might think, wait a minute, why not? So just that can be enough. So things like I'm busy are typical of not taking responsibility again. But yes, vocabulary is so important. <laughs> Sounds like That's she was uh, part of the same coaching uh, 
training that you went through, Jeff. <laughs> I know. I, I, I mean, it's funny, Katie, because that was one of the first words, probably a third or fourth word I gave up. Yeah. And it was the hardest because everybody uses it. Yeah. And they would use it at me. They would say, <laughs> how are things going, Jeff? You seem really busy. And I, I've chosen to just have the long conversations that actually I don't believe in the word or the concept. And then they go, what do you mean? I said, well, I, busy doesn't mean anything to me. To me, it's a false story that tells me I'm valuable. And so I've given it up and they get the little speech and then they say, what are you? I said, well, I'm productive. I'm actually profitable. I'm, I'm having a lot more joy in my life. I feel fulfilled with my days. They go, that sounds really good. I go, it's a lot better than busy. <laughs> I love the bit, the bit about being valuable too, because that's also yes. what comes with uh, busy is always a significance behind it. It's always, oh, I'm so important. I'm so significant. Therefore, I'm so busy. We can stop that story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. So there's a word you use, Katie, I want to make sure we talk about. I don't think we have. I wrote down the word misalignment. Hmm. And I feel very strongly that's a piece for me. I'm always looking at, am I in alignment? For me, am I in alignment in my values? Am I in alignment with my priorities? So where are you using misalignment in your coaching, probably with yourself as well? Exactly in the way you described it. So looking at what are you know, your values, what are your priorities, what is important for you, and is that where you're spending significant time and energy? It's actually quite... Um, a long process because I feel anyway for myself that it's constantly being reviewed, maybe every week, maybe every two weeks. Sometimes I wish I could just say, now it's good. Can we just keep it like that for a few months? <laughs> a week or two weeks later, I'm like, yeah, but no, that could be a big difference. Or, you know, I want to spend a bit more time here or maybe weekends do something a bit different. So I'm constantly re-evaluating. But the important part here is that if there's any misalignment, it's only ever small because I catch it. So it only fluctuates so good. Like, <laughs> like this. It's not, I feel it, it's fully aligned sometimes and then a bit out and then a lot. And then, but what happens because people aren't used to having such a process is it gets a bit aligned, misaligned, then a bit more, then a bit more. And next thing you know, it they're burnt out or they haven't seen their spouse in two months or whatever. So people let it slip too far, yeah. mostly because they're not in the habit of, actually reviewing this they don't know how to review it and other things end up having more importance somehow i would love to know more about your review process there because i would say it's like this last week i felt like my my wife and i hadn't spent much time together so i said okay saturday we're going to go to the beach for the day we had a fantastic 73 degrees uh, fahrenheit um down at the beach i mean fantastic weather we had a great time but I knew that we needed to reconnect. And so there was that, that natural feeling, but sometimes there are things that get out of whack. Like for example, over the last year gained like 40, 50 pounds. It's like, that's stupid. I had just spent the time taking all that stuff off. So why did I let that come back on? And so how, how, and I knew what was happening, right? It's not like I didn't step on the scale. It's not like I didn't know what was going on, but I wasn't ready to make that shift for some reason. I felt like my, my candy, my uh, ice cream, all that stuff was more important than my health for a period of time. So how do we stay on track? A few different things come to my mind here. First of all, in terms of the example you gave, you gave there's always this challenge between the short-term gain and the long-term vision. So that's yeah. always with instant gratification and dopamine. And thing is we know about this but this is really a challenge because our brain is wired for quick fix dopamine it's just wired that way so once it's associated ice cream with dopamine you have to you know not have it in the house not have it nearby it, it's challenging like the brain we can use willpower we can use discipline we can put in new habits but our brain is wired to get that dopamine so that's just on the example you gave in terms of processes three mainly come to my mind one and one of one of them obviously is working with mentors and coaches because they just catch you <laughs> every couple of weeks and you're talking about things and you might mention it once, twice, three times, and then they pick up on it. So that's obviously one way. Another one is through journaling and reflection. I've actually been doing the morning pages, which Julia Cameron talks about in the artist way. 
which is every single morning write three pages of anything, <laughs> which is an interesting process, but a lot of things come up. So typically mm. the example you just gave would come up and then maybe it would come up twice. And then you think, wait a minute, let me do about it. So these are both tools that you sort of do in the background and need to change. And then there's the active weekly review and monthly review. And that really can look like anything you want it to look like. So you select the categories you want to track, you select the questions you want to ask yourself. I've made mine simpler and simpler. And one of the most powerful things I've done is literally through my time tracking on my calendar, I've color coded everything. And at the end of the week, I see how many hours I've spent in different categories. And so I used to see some weeks where I've spent more in admin and done very little coaching or speaking. And I thought, no, this is what I want to do. So how do I shift this around? Yeah, yeah, that's an example in a weekly review. So uh, I guess I'll also my... add, Craig, because you asked the question, my word alarm went off. Uh-oh. Sorry. Because you said, as you were describing your behavior, you said, that's stupid. And I would yep. be aware of that language because that stupid becomes I'm stupid. Well, I or know maybe it came from that place and that who would eat that stuff? Someone who's stupid. That's exactly <laughs> what they would do. And it starts, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I would never call myself stupid, um, but I, I have done stupid things. But yeah, I, I can see how that can eke in there. Um, one of the one of the things you had talked about earlier, Katie, was the whole issue of. I'm sorry. Let me let me shift back. I had another thought, which was I've created my own planner, and when I use it, I have outstanding days, but I don't always use it. How do how do I fix that? <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes back down to the habits and processes. But to be honest, I also found after years and years in productivity and peak performance that sometimes it's all right not to do everything always consistently. I know I'm saying the opposite of what I should say. I'm saying the opposite <laughs> of all the habit experts and all these people. But also sometimes energetically things shift and it's okay. I think what's most important and more important is to be able to get back on track. Maybe yeah. don't use your planner one week because you want holiday or maybe you were sick sure. or something happened. That's also life. We're not mm -hmm. robots. But then the key thing is, how do you get back on track? And what made you want to use it in the first place? That's again the why. If you really get enjoyment from it, if it really helps yeah. you with your work, if it helps you to be more productive and focused, you're like, right, this is awesome. I dropped it for a week because I was working in a more creative way. Let me get back on track. Gotcha. Katie, this is such an awesome and fun conversation. We could go on for hours, I know, and that, that'll <laughs> maybe happen in another venue. One question I like to close with is this. Craig and I have asked you a lot of questions today, but often there's a question we didn't ask. So what's the question we didn't ask? And go ahead and answer it for us. <laughs> That's a very nice way of putting it. I think the question you didn't ask is what is the role of focus here and mm. why does that matter? Because a lot of the speaking I do is around focus. So it's okay. quite nice to touch on a lot of other topics. So to answer that question, the role of focus is both uh, crucial in terms of how we manage our energy and our time, because if we're obviously more focused, then we're more productive. But focus is also uh, a lens through which we look because when we're being selectively focused about what we choose to think about what we choose to act upon how we choose to respond this is a type of focus if you have five things going on at the same time you receive five emails four of them are turning you down in one way shape or form disappointing you whatever you name it and one of them is an opportunity and the default of the brain because we always value more the negative things will be to focus on those thoughts. So this is a form of focus. It's a lens. And if we polish this lens, if we think, actually, you know what? I want to focus on the opportunity more, then that shifts everything. That shifts our emotions. That shifts our energy. It makes us more performing. So this is why I'm so passionate about focus, because it's both a very practical tool. How we manage our focus daily can help us to achieve our long-term goals and be more productive. But it's also more spiritually speaking, a way of tapping into those higher emotions and that purpose. Hmm. 
Let's just send a note here. Uh, so a question I had about that, one thing that seems to comes to mind is I really like that reframe and reframe as a pun intended. As I told someone the other day that I have, I call them gratitude goggles. <laughs> <laughs> because, and they're very refined in that I pretty regularly, my habit is, I like to say I see what's there versus what's not there. So that's the gratitude part. So when there's something missing, like you said, with those emails, I'm actually typically, and I'll catch myself if I start to go over here and say, no, look what's here though. Look what's here versus what didn't happen. But that's become from a lot of habit and, and, and also seeing the wins of it. So that is a way that's, I focus on what I'm grateful for mm. and it's become a pretty good muscle for me. That's huge. I call them gratitude goggles. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little more about focus because you have a different take on it. And it's interesting because so many people have different strategies for it. Like, (laughs) I will tell you, for me, I gave up on focus in the (laughs) traditional sense because it didn't work for me. Because I kept saying, I need to focus more. I need to focus more. And I wasn't more focused. I just kept being distracted. For me, what has worked is. I choose to get present to things Hmm. because presence works for me and I have a strong values commitment of presence. So when I, even on projects, not just with people, I'll say, you know, like this afternoon, I will tell you, I've got a, something that I've been putting off. I've blocked it off. And when I start that, I say, I will say to myself, I'm going to be present to this for the next two hours. And with this, that achieves focus for me, but I don't Hmm. use the word focus. So talk about some different ways you work with people on getting them to the focus they want. Just what are the different ways you work with people on focus? Because clearly you've got a approach or a mindset for focus that's different than some people, than a lot of people, frankly. Well, first I look at what's getting in the way. So what is causing the distractions? A lot of the time there's a reason people are getting distracted, whether it's because they're frustrated or impatient or overwhelmed. So I try and remove what creates the distraction. (laughs) And then once you remove that, then people no longer need to be distracted. And the default is focus. So actually focus is our natural state, but we go into distraction. So I help people to remove the distractions, take more breaks because people don't take enough breaks and then be very clear on what they want to achieve and manage their emotions and energy. So if we look at energy management, clear goal setting, a lot of breaks and understanding where the frustration, distractions, inner turbulence is coming from and removing that, then people are pretty focused. <laughs> okay. Are the, did you find that the, how often do you find that the distractions are a form of resistance? <laughs> I think always. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that was a loaded question, Jeff. <laughs> Well, I hadn't heard the word. I hadn't heard it. That that's what I believe too. That people say, No, yeah. I'm just distracted. I'm easily distracted. Well, it's a reform of resistance. No, 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 no. No, I really want to do this. I really want to be focused, but I just can't help myself. Victim victim. Yeah. Have you clarified what it is you're going to get out of it when you do that? When you're looking at focus, then what other strategies, um, issues do people have that maybe you help with? Many. <laughs> People have many issues. Okay, so the hyperachiever tendency comes up Mm. a lot. So this feeling of not enough. The perfectionism comes up a lot Mm. also. Controller aspect, wanting everything to be totally (laughs) controlled. Wow, you're hitting on some big ones here. (laughs) (laughs) That's the blockages that get in the way of people doing their things. And generally what I feel happens, and this is where most coaches help really at the end of the day, is people don't have that clarity. They don't take the time for reflection and inner space. And so they don't have the clarity. They don't have the clarity on what's blocking them. They don't have the clarity of where they want to go. They don't have the clarity of how they want to feel. And if you just there and you listen properly and you ask a few good questions, it works. I mean, that's how coaching works. It's not rocket science. It really is just being able to listen at a deeper level and see, okay, what's really going on? And when you point it out to people that are receptive, that are paying you for this, then they realize, oh yeah, 
this is what's happening and then you help them to move on and change mm. but yes essentially i help people to reach their peak performance and that balance yeah that's what i'm all about growth balance growth balance <laughs> and get rid of all the rubbish that's getting in the way so they can be happy and fulfilled because i don't really care about growth and balance if it doesn't lead to happiness fulfillment and inner peace that's my why deep deep down make people happy and at peace <laughs> basically yeah well i love that katie this has been so good i, I didn't know what to expect I was excited to learn and grow, and I have have all sorts of new perspectives, and and a, and a new a new bosom buddy of someone who likes to be direct with people. As you were talking about some of the things you say to people, I go, "Oh, that sounds like me." It's awesome for sure. Because you probably get swore at from some of your clients too, which is the greatest compliment that I get. <laughs> So, Katie, thank you for bringing your your many wisdom bombs on all things self-leadership, peak performance, balance, uh, focus, energy management, so many good things. We always want to wrap up by allowing you to share anything that particular you want to promote to our listeners. Well, right now at the moment, I'm still working on my book, so it's not out yet. <laughs> but I'd be happy if anyone reaches out to me on LinkedIn. I'm always really excited about making new connections in general it can be friendship it could be business it could just be saying hi so anyone that wants to reach out on linkedin happy oh i am if i am promoting something i am launching my speaking tour so this is part of my speaking tour so anyone who wants to be in touch for podcast interviews workshops summits that's aligned once more <laughs> with my message and the things i discuss i'd be thrilled to do that wonderful so linkedin is the best way to connect with you so we always wrap up with a question, and our question for you is, what is the book, capital T-H-E, what is the book of the many thousands that people need to invest in? I particularly love Flow. I have it here with me. Mm -hmm. I love so many other- Just take me high. I love so many books, it was very hard to pick. The reason why I chose Flow is because it sort of represents my philosophy. In some mm. way, it, it is very linked to focus. When we are in focus, we're in flow. And also it's a way of living your life. It's a way of leading your life mm. because you are aligned, you have clear goals, you are growing, but also it's finding that balance. So I sort of feel everything is like a flow and it sort of goes both with my structured analytical side of things, but also with my creative side of things. So for me, this, this book is magical and it had a huge impact on my business, the business of my clients and my life in general. So highly, highly recommend it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Katie. Thanks for being here. And uh, more important, thanks for all the work that you do in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real, real yeah, pleasure. Great having you. Thank you. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.